I want to pick up on talking about Israel and just basically the routes through Israel, and then I'm going to kind of share a little bit about some of the things that happened on at least one of those routes tonight. I'm kind of experimenting with you, so we'll see how this goes. So I would like feedback um, if this is something like, yeah, I don't know. During um, afterwards. Let me know. Uh, afterwards would be better. Did yeah. <laughs> you show maps so, than you did last time? Yeah. <laughs> They're all pixelated. They're yeah, I, I'm hoping these are going to be okay. Um, so first of all, these are the main routes to get through Israel. As I said last week, you know, to get anywhere from Mesopotamia, Egypt, or whatever, really anywhere in the world at that point, for the most part, you had to go through Israel. And we see here that there was the King's Highway, I mentioned that, the Rift Valley, the Road of the Patriarchs, and the Coastal Plains. Those are kind of the main routes that uh, went through it, just to review here. So one of the major routes, uh, I've kind of turned this sideways now, Sea of Galilee, Dead Sea, was this coastal plain. For the most part, most of Israel's history, it was the Philistines, the Canaanites, and whatnot that lived in that area. And Jerusalem was going to primarily have this area, or Jerusalem, the Israelites were going to have this area here. We talked about the Jezreel Valley last week. The Jezreel Valley is a very important valley because it kind of extends here, then into the Rift Valley, all the way down to the Dead Sea, and uh, basically Petra down here. Um, what was significant about it is this is basically the Megiddo Valley or the Armageddon Valley where we're supposed to have a, you know, end times war. In the Megiddo Valley, or the Jezreel Valley, I should say, uh, down here there is uh, today an army base. That is uh, basically where Ron crashed his, his jet, his F-15, he crashed a jet there. Uh, in the Jezreel Valley. Uh, I don't know, some of you know that story, some of you don't, but... Um, he saved the jet. Uh, he, he, he saved the jet. He saved the jet, yes. Woke up in the hospital, but he saved the jet. He ignored the... Eject, eject! So, <laughs> anyway. Um, but down here, we right kind of where this enters, this red line enters, there is the town of Megiddo there. Now, we have positively identified Megiddo, it is here, and this is where we get Armageddon. Armageddon Valley is basically our uh, Har is basically the word for hill in Hebrew, and so Har Megiddo is kind of where we're getting Armageddon in the, in our English. So, um, looking across the the valley here, the Jezreel Valley, there we can see Nazareth is there, basically where Jesus was going to be thrown off the cliff. Mount Tabor, and the hill of Moray there. So you can kind of see it here as well, that Megiddo would be somewhere kind of right here, coming out of the Megiddo Valley. My arrow should probably be a little bit longer there. Mount Carmel is on the side. And because of that, there really is no way to get around it easily. And that's why you had to kind of cut up through to get into the Jezreel Valley to go up and around. Mount Carmel served as just a natural block. Now, it doesn't look like much here, but it's enough to where you're not going to be marching around it and whatnot. It's, it's more rugged than you would expect. And so, kind of trying to show you these on this map from up above, looking, this is from Megiddo, looking across, you've got the Nazareth Ridge right here. Then there's Mount Tabor and uh, Mount Moray here, and then the, this valley kind of shoots around comes up here and there. This is the Harad Valley. That would be where Gideon Springs are. When Gideon had the men, uh, you know, lap water and got it down to 300 men. And uh, you, you know the story. We, we're not going to talk about that one tonight. So um, just kind of showing you again another perspective here of Megiddo, same Nazareth, Tabor, and Moray. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but I just want to give a couple of different perspectives so that you can get a layout of the land here for the most part. Uh, give you a couple of other ideas of what we're going on here. Mount Tabor that you can see, that is where Deborah and uh, Barak had 10,000 Israelites fighting the Canaanites. 
Uh, if you remember the story of Deborah and Barak, we aren't going to cover that tonight either. But um, just give you an idea of where these things are taking place. Next, uh, by the hill of Moray, is the city of Nain. And that is pictured coming up on the next slide. And Nain is where uh, Jesus raised a widow's son from the dead. Uh, I think it, that's in Luke. I'm not going to, again, go through that one tonight. But here is the city of Nain. And here it is, Luke 7. And so in this city somewhere is where Jesus healed that, that woman. All right. Um, here we have the Megiddo Pass. And so there's Megiddo. And you can see a highway that cuts through. That highway is in the exact same place of where everybody would travel to get around Mount Carmel entering into the Jezreel Valley. So that highway, if you go there today, you are driving on that route. The very route that armies would have been marching, multiple armies, armies from Egypt and uh, the, the Philistines and the Canaanites and whatnot, marching through this valley, this right through here. And we know this. I mean, this is like a sure thing. And you can go there and think, wow, people are marching right through this area. Just to give you an idea, this isn't a big, you know, Israel is small. And we know pretty easily where some of these battles would take place, as I'll show you here tonight. But anyway, um, one of the geographical reasons, as I said, you can't go around Mount Carmel, is that here's the Mediterranean Sea. Now, the hill country of Jerusalem is way up. So in the Bible, oftentimes we'll see, go up to Jerusalem, go up to Jerusalem. Maybe that means something to you. For me, for a person that my wife is always hounding me on, rightly so, is that I don't think spatially. So I go over to Broken Bow, I go down to Broken Bow, I go up to Broken Bow, I just go to Broken Bow and I don't... The word up and down doesn't mean anything to me. I'll go up to Arizona, okay? <laughs> But the bottom line is, in Jerusalem, or in the Bible, you hear all the time going up to Jerusalem. This is why. It was in the hill country, and you were pretty much going up to Jerusalem all the time. And so the Judean wilderness and the Jordan Rift Valley, we talked about this last week, how much of a difference it is just in 14 miles across. And so... If you're going to go that kind of elevation in 14 miles, you know that's going to be a rough hike. It's the same thing over here that if you were going to go from the Mediterranean Sea to Jerusalem, you've got you know, a, a huge hill and elevation to climb. But if you go through the Jezreel Valley, you can kind of see that it is very smooth and easy. And so that is why these paths uh, were traveled. Just the natural layout of the land. It's almost, I think when God was, you know, forming the earth after the flood. I, I'm, right now I'm just thinking, man, there's so many things I want to talk about. I wish we could beat twice a week. I, I really would like to talk about hydroplate theory, science stuff, one of these times, to show you, I think, really how the earth formed after Noah's flood. I think that geology really gives us a lot of insights to show us what happened. But it makes me wonder if God wasn't planning, because his eyes were on Jerusalem this whole time, that he wasn't planning and saying, I'm going to make it this way. I'm going to make Jerusalem up here, and I'm only going to make a few paths that are going to get to Jerusalem. You know, just he was the one in control of even shaping how this happens. It wasn't natural erosion. This is God's involvement in even the layout of the land of Israel. And I think that's really, uh, I think, something important to, to think about. And so as we approach Jerusalem, there, I'm not going to get through all of them tonight, but there are approaches from the east, the west, the north, and the south, obviously. And all of them are not really direct. Jerusalem was in a very strategic place. And so... To find Jerusalem, as I think I mentioned last week, you find the tip of the Dead Sea, go left or go west, and you'll find Jerusalem. So that's a good place to, you know, kind of make a foundation in your mind there. 
but just remember it's about 4,000 feet higher. <laughs> Above Jerusalem, you're going to have the tribe of Benjamin. Now, the tribe of Benjamin was kind of on a plateau. And so as a result, almost all of the, the ways to approach Jerusalem from the north, and even some of them from the east, you have to get to Benjamin first and then drop down to Jerusalem. Because from here across to the Dead Sea, it's just hills, and I'm, we're talking major hills and cliffs. Not just a hill that you can climb, cliffs. And so you could not get to Jerusalem this way. You, you're going to have to come up and around. We'll talk about this path another way. Or from down here, kind of up and across, up to Bethlehem and then up. But there was no way to get there from here across. So it kind of had a natural protection from it, uh, from enemies. But coming from the north, and even, like I said, some here from the east, you had to go up to Benjamin first in the land there and then you would cut down. That is why we see some of the major towns that you're going to read in Scripture are on the outskirts of the land of Benjamin here. You've got places like Ramah. Remember, Isaiah uh, would, would live there in Ramah. You've got Gibeon, Gibeah, Mizpah, um, all on this little plateau. And you see that there are roads entering where those cities are at. So these were very important, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, protective cities, uh, strongholds, in order for, I'm going to see if I can get out of this light, in, in order for your land to be secure, you had to protect the routes that people were going to take to get to you. And so these are the cities that are at these roads that would kind of converge to make sure that Israel was safe. Um, Gibeah is where Saul was from. I already told you that Ramah is where Samuel lived there. I, no, I didn't tell you that. Ramah is where Samuel lived. Um, so just kind of get a little bit of a layout. Bethlehem is down right below Jerusalem. But these are some of the areas. I'm going to point out the pass here. That's going to be an important thing. Um, the pass is where you're going to remember Jonathan. <laughs> Jonathan, uh, when the Philistines were attacking, Saul and his men were someplace else, and Jonathan had his armor bearer with him, and they were right here at the pass. I'm going to show you a picture of the pass, but that is where this battle took place, where Jonathan and his armor bearer went and cleaned house. Just the two of them. And uh, that's because the Philistines were coming up here, kind of you'll see kind of by Micmash and whatnot, but they were in this area, and that's where uh, he's going to climb these cliffs. So uh, we also see some examples. You're going to—I think if if you kind of begin to know these places a little bit and can just get in your mind a little bit of the layout of Israel, when you read Scripture again, just to repeat what I said before, I want you to kind of at least be able to picture where these towns are because I really feel, at least for me, when I read the Bible. And I get to towns that don't make any, it's just a word. There's no meaning attached to it. And as a result, your brain kind of shuts down just for that split second. And you lose track. But if you can picture these things, it helps you keep your focus in understanding a little bit more. But in 1 Kings 15, we see this is where Basha uh, was uh, from Assyria was coming and attacking Ramah. Why was he attacking Ramah? Because this is a stronghold. We need to get this town because if we can control this town, we have access. And so it's it's important. There's There was strategic reasons for them coming to attack these towns. Um, so to stop this, King Asa put a border, which you can see here by the east-west dotted line right here, King Asa basically put a border up there and he was building up the towns of Mizpah, Geba, uh, things like that to basically protect Jerusalem. In 1 Kings 15, 17, I don't, I don't have it up here because to have the maps and the words just didn't work. So if you want to go there in 1 Kings 15, 17, you can see this. 
But this is what it says. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah, and he built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house, and he delivered them into the hand of his servants. And King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Tabrimon, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Then King Asa made a proclamation through all, all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away the stones and the timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of Benjamin and Mizpah. And so all of that is going on to protect Jerusalem, to you know, make this stronghold. Yeah? Uh, some translations, instead of built, they say fortified. Fortified, yeah. It's really a... That's the word that I think I was trying to find before, fortified, good. The east-west routes, as I said, went through Benjamin because of the geography, um, and it was about the same elevation of Jerusalem that way. So you weren't going up and down doing that. Um, and so you can kind of get an idea of that, Bethlehem, Benjamin here. If you could cut up into this, rather than going way up there and having to go back down and back up, cutting into Benjamin allowed you to stay at a fairly level Playing. Uh, um, man, I can't think of words. Elevation. Elevation. Thank you. Yeah. Tough words tonight. <laughs> Elevation. Anyway, um, so some approaches from the west. Uh, on the western side, where you've got the Mediterranean Sea, so you've got from other countries and whatnot, you're protected from the sea itself. But then you had the Philistine and the Canaanites over there as well. And so from the west, here's Jerusalem again, so the uh, Dead Sea over here. Um, you've got this valley, just like, now keep in mind, just keeping your uh, focus where we're at, if you, the Dead Sea's here, you go up, the Sea of Galilee is up here. Up here then, up from Jerusalem, would be the Megiddo Valley, Megiddo, Mount Carmel, uh, more on the left a little bit. So just to keep perspective of where this map is at. Well, down below here, there are not very many ways that you can get to Jerusalem from the west. One of them here is this Ajalon Valley and then the Sorek Valley. Those are the two entrances that you're going to be able to get to Jerusalem from the west. And so from there, you could maybe go, you can go up and around or you can kind of cut through and then down. Uh, there's a couple of different areas that you can get once you enter but those are the two entry points to get to Jerusalem. And so you're going to see those in Scripture uh, a fair amount of time because of that. Um, today, Gezer is this tell here. And Gezer is, was a Philistine town. We know it's positively been identified. And um, it was set at another strategic location. Because Gezer, see here if I can find it right there, is at the entry point, or at least one of the entry points of being able to go. Like the valley goes up here, but you had to go quite a ways out of the way. But that was one route to go to the Beth Horon Ridge. But otherwise, Gezer, you had to go through this valley and you weren't getting across it without being noticed. So Gezer was one of those fortified cities. And when the Philistines owned it, then, you know, Israel couldn't go that way, but the Philistines had controlled that. David then will get Gezer later, and then he's been fortifying the western fronts that way. Um, the Beth Haran, again, here's Gezer. Here's Emmaus. Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus. I know when I read that, I think, oh, you know, he just, you know, hopped on this little nice little tra level trail and, you know, probably walked, you know, a mile or two down the road. No, this was, there's two ways to get there. And this was a long journey. So you can go up 
And you're quite a ways north here. Again, you have to get through Benjamin to drop down. You either go through the Bethphoron Ridge or you're going to go through Jerim. We don't know which way Jesus took, but he had to take one of those two routes. More than likely, I would assume, he was taking this route. So he would go through Ephron, Kiriath, Jerim, and whatnot, that then gets you to Emmaus just before the town of Gezer. In Joshua 10, verse 6, it says, The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, which is not on the map, but to the right and slightly higher than Jerusalem in the Rift Valley area. So way over there. Can't lift my shoulder. Um, it says, um, he's saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. Okay, again, in the Rift Valley. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon chasing them along the road that goes to Beth Haran and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel, were on the desert of Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. Azekah is down here. Beth Haran is up here. There is the city. This is the Beth Haran Ridge. They were way over here, 14 miles, roughly, and went all the way up. They had to follow one of these paths, but somewhere here, it started to hail. And from here, all the way down to Azekah, basically God, it seems, was sending hail upon these people, killing them. And so that's what we see in Joshua chapter 10. It says, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Stand still over Gibeon. There's Gibeon. Stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. And so here is the Beth Haran Ridge. So on the map here. Pictures never, I don't know if you've ever tried to take a picture of a canyon. It never shows how steep it is. Okay, But even in this picture, you can get an idea of how rugged and steep this is. Okay. That's more on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. yeah. And, but that was, I mean, treacherous. Yeah. That was, that was scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this looking at it from Oh, let's see. I believe that this would be looking at it from, yeah, from the south looking at north here. But I'm not 100% sure of that. So this road, this highway today, if you go there, again, same thing like I was saying before, that, that road is the same road that they would travel is where the highway is to this day. Okay, so when you're driving in Israel, the history is on both sides of the road everywhere you go. Um, so then here, there's kind of a little bit of a larger picture saying the same thing, but I think you kind of get it. So that's one of the routes to get to Jerusalem. You have to go way up, come down from the, the north, you go south yeah, from uh, Benjamin. So the Beth Haran Ridge route, here's another picture of it. Um, upper Beth Haran is up here, just, I think right there. I can't quite tell, but I think that this is the upper Beth Haran there. No, that's the lower. That's the lower there, but I thought it was, no, it's, it's to the right, right, to the right of it. Yeah. I can't see where I'm at. Okay. So, um, there you go. Yeah, lower and upper. So that gives you a good picture based on the map here. See where it's at. Uh, Solomon built towns along this route, fortifying Jerusalem as well, because it protected you from the west there.
Uh, second route, going from Emmaus. So here's Emmaus there. there was, Emmaus was, again, where the road forked. And so there was two ways to get to Jerusalem from there. Either go up north or go down south through Kiriath-Jerim, as I said before. But it forked there by Emmaus. So Emmaus was also a very important strategic location there. Um, from there, it, you can see here it heads north to Gibeon. Uh, connects with the plateau of Benjamin there, and then from Benjamin back down south to Jerusalem. Now, if you remember, the Ark of God was kept at Kiriath-Jerim. So on this route is where, when David is going to bring the Ark back to Jerusalem, it will be here. It was stored there for a number of years. 1 Samuel 7.1 the men of Kiriath-Jerim brought up the Ark of the Lord. So which route David used to bring? He could uh, go this way, or he could go this way along the ridge. I suspect probably more this way rather than going all the way up. However, this is an easier path than that one. So anyway, we don't know, but anyway, nonetheless, that is where the Ark was kept, and the Ark then was brought probably, you know, roughly three miles then or so to Jerusalem on that ark. And that's when the ark or the oxen stumble and uh, Uzzah reaches out to, to you know, stabilize it and he's killed. You can see how why the oxen would stumble. Uh, this is not easy country to get around. Um, the bottom picture here on the left, these deep canyons and hills are why you cannot go across to Jerusalem. You have to go up but this one here, as I said, cutting down through Ephron is much more rugged, as you can just see from the map. So this is a much easier one. It's possible, because it's an easier route carrying the oxen, that they would have had to go all the way up and down, which would double the distance, basically, of getting the ark to Jerusalem. Um, let's see. You're just showing you this quickly again, maybe to give you an idea of where all of this is at. There is the Ajalon Valley, there is the Sorek Valley, and here is Jerusalem. So we're trying to get around all of these mountains to get to Jerusalem. Um, the north, southern and northern approaches to Jerusalem, I'm not going to get very detailed on this tonight. We'll deal with that a little bit more later. But from the north, you had kind of a straight shot in here this way. But again, you had to drop in from coming from the west from the Ajalon Valley, those two routes. I'll talk later about the Sorek Valley, and there are two routes there as well, but then you cut up from the south, you headed north into Jerusalem there. Um, and then on this side, we have a couple of routes. There's one from Jericho that can go two different ways, and then there's going to be one down here, uh, probably closer here, En Gedi. Wherever En Gedi is, I think it's here. Um, and Getty then will cut up and cut up this way, actually down and then up. So those are the routes that you can get into Jerusalem, and that's about it. Um, let's see, the dotted line here is just basically roads that are, impo are impossible to travel through. Cliffs, things like that. You're just not going. Okay? It isn't that, oh, it's just harder. It's no, you can't. Cliffs, you're going to die. Okay? Uh, maybe later I'll get you some pictures of those cliffs. But uh, let's see here. Next one, and this is what I'm going to focus on here tonight. Again, just giving you the layout first, but we just talked about the Sorek Valley coming up there and then meeting uh, either going up, to, I'm sorry, not the Sorek, but uh, Ajalon Valley, where you went to Kiriath-Jerim or up above and then down. Now, from the Sorek Valley, you can cut up and you're going to meet right here, close to Hushan. But you've got the Hushan Ridge and the Rephaim uh, Ridge here. The mountains in between that you can't cross. So, the Sorek Valley and the Elah Valley. We're going to kind of focus on the Elah Valley. Either one, you're going to end up on the same road to get to Jerusalem. Whether you came out of this valley or that valley, you're going to end up here. And you can go two routes one more time. The Valley of Rephaim 
or the road of the patriarchs. Now, the road of the patriarchs is fairly much south. This is the one that Abraham traveled on all the time. If you took a rougher road, you would go up here through the valley of Rephaim. Now, with that said, now you just kind of have uh, an understanding of that. I want you to see that David traveled along the Hushon Ridge here when he went up to Jerusalem after killing Goliath. And so you can picture him carrying this huge head in his hand as he is going up the Hushon Ridge there. Um, he killed Goliath in the Elah Valley. And that is here. And I'm going to take you to the Elah Valley tonight. And that's kind of where I want to focus after giving you this foundation. Here is the Valley of Elah. This is where David killed Goliath. We can't say for certain exactly where in this field, but it is almost a sure thing that it was here in this field somewhere. Okay, um, and I'll explain why. You can see these different hills. Now this is 15 miles west of Bethlehem, 20 miles east of the Mediterranean Sea. And the Valley of Elah is best known for David killing Goliath. So give you a little perspective here then on a map. Um, Bethlehem and Elah. So 20 miles, 15 miles in between. So just kind of take that in. We're going to zoom in a little bit on that. There's only one hill between this Soka, or Soak they call it sometimes, and the uh, city or hill of Azica. And the one hill in between these, you're going to see on pictures, you're going to see that the Israelites are going to camp out on this hill, and the Philistines camp opposite. And there's only that one hill. So the Philistines are camped here. The Israelites are camped here. The battle goes on in between. And there is a river, a stream that comes right down here. And so he takes five stones. David takes five stones out of that stream and then goes out to meet. But you can see that they would be yelling back and forth at each other here. Now, with this in mind, with these names up here, I'm going to read from you, and this might be good for you to go to if you want as well, 1 Samuel 17, because we're going to be there a little bit. And I want you to see 1 Samuel 17. Starting at verse 1 is where we're going to read about this story. And I'm going to show you pictures closer of these hills as after I read some of this. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Socah, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Socah and Azekah. So you can kind of see here on the map. In Ephes Damim. So it even narrows it down. The scriptures narrow it down even more where it's at. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain of the other side, with a valley between them. Verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, um, so basically over nine feet tall, probably around nine foot nine or so. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, basically bronze scale armor. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, which would be about 125 pounds. He had bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. So just the head of it weighed about 15 pounds. His shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and, you are, not, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. 
If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So, we saw a lot of names here, basically where they were. The, the Philistines had gathered at Soka. I'm going to show you a picture of Soka. Well, it's right there, technically. And that was under control of Judah at that time. But then it says they camp between Soka and Azekah. So they're going to camp between these spots. Well, this seems to be right in here based on all of the pieces being put together. So here is Tel Soka, and there's only that one hill between Soka and Azeka. Yeah. Tel means hill. Yep, yep. Yeah. Technically, it's like a Tel is basically the hill upon which the city was built. It, so today, when in archaeology, when you see mounds like that, it's a, called a Tel. So it's usually not uh, not necessarily a man-made thing, but oftentimes they would build on the hills. So. so anyway, Elah is right behind this. You can see the green fields behind. That's the, the valley of Elah. So the Israelites would be camping on this hill right here. So as you look at this picture, it isn't all that much of an area. And you're going to have the Philistines camping somewhere on this hill because the Bible says that they were on this hill. And then here's that stream that runs along it. Okay. So once again, um, giving you an idea of where we're at. Here is the Valley of Elah. Here is the Philistine camp. Or not, the Mediterranean Sea, the Philistine area where they lived, Ashkelon, Gaza, and so on. And so they're coming up, and they're, this is kind of supposed to be protected. Judas, you know, needs to keep this. But the Philistines are going to try and break through to get to Jerusalem. Um, so here again is the Israelite camp. There's the Philistine camp, giving you a little better picture of the area. Somewhere in here, and I would say since they're on this hill, and Israel's on this hill, somewhere right in here is where they're yelling back and forth. Not a very big area. Here's another picture. The Valley of Elah is kind of back in here. Tel Azica, remember they're camping in between, but so over here, between these hills is where the battle is going to take place. One more picture of it here. You can kind of see that it's pretty well established somewhere in here is where this battle took place. The Philistines, the Israelites. So this is looking uh, back towards Azekon from the Israelites on top of the other hill. So in other words, the Philistines are behind you in this case from this picture. But this is the Valley of Elah going, continuing on there. And then this would be the battlefield. So kind of reading on here in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 20, it says this, David rose early in the morning and he let the sheep with the keeper and he took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. He camped in the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry, and Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and he ran out to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David said to the men who stood by him, 
What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. What I want you to kind of think about tonight is this, that here's this giant coming up against not just David, but the armies of Israel and thus the God of Israel. And when I you know, think of David and Goliath, for years I pictured a cartoon in my head because that's what I saw in Sunday school. I saw a cartoon. I see a picture of David. You know, I, I can see this guy kind of dressed up. But when I look at this, and I look at this field or those mountains, and I visualize, I don't see a cartoon character coming down that hill. I picture a real person coming down that hill. And I don't know if it's this way for you or not, but for me, this makes it tangible. And I want you to understand that there's a day coming, maybe in your lifetime, I think probable in your lifetime, that there's going to be real events like this that are going to take place. Real people who are coming against you and defying the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the way, that's your God. Because you have been grafted in to that. And I even look back at covid and I see how these people are telling us you can't worship and you can't do this and you can't do that. Or, even more so, you have to make sure that you are safe and wear a mask wherever you go because God isn't going to be big enough to protect you. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't common sense that we should use and so on at times, but I am saying this. There is going to be a day when you're going to have to face germs. And is your God bigger than germs and viruses? I think about Yeshua when he was going to these places of the, the, the lepers. People wouldn't even touch him and they had to stay so far away because they were afraid and so they wouldn't love people because they were afraid of germs. While I disagree with much of the Catholic Church, I am impressed with Mother Teresa and how Mother Teresa would go into these leper colonies and do these things because she put her faith in God. And you know what? She did not die of leprosy. I think that we have to realize that there is a reality to this story that we might have to face someday that is this. Listen. These people are telling me that my God can't protect me. My God won't protect me. My, you know, there is no way that you can overcome this, this battle. In talking with some people in relation to what was going on here in Israel, and you look at these women who have been captured and raped, and, and their kids have been taken away. I want my kids, and I would want all of you kids to understand that if there is some day where there is some tragedy, terrible, awful thing that happens to you and you are taken off to a Philistine camp, you might say, that your God is big enough to get you through. Even if there's trials and tribulations going through that, God is not going to leave your side. These people were terrified as they were sitting on that field. They were absolutely scared to death. You know, people on that hill, terrified of just this one man. But there was this little David who was a small guy. He wasn't big. He was a boy. And he took upon himself to go and face that. I'm not afraid of leprosy. I'm not afraid of COVID. I'm not afraid of, of uh, you know, Gazan, uh, the Palestinian Muslim, Islamic jihad I, I'm not afraid of that because I've got God on my side and we could go through story after story in the Bible whether it be you know uh, those that were thrown into the fire in Daniel's day 
right? God is able to protect. But if he doesn't, I want you to know God is still God. But God's going to get me through this. And I think that we need to learn from that attitude that this is reality. This is not cartoon. This is reality. And our God is not a cartoon God that saves us in some mystical idea. He is a God who, when you walk down that mountain, is going to be there for you. And don't think about David coming that hill. I want you to picture yourself coming down this hill. And you're going to battle. That it's real. In verse 31, it goes on and it says, When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent, him, sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Can you imagine? Can you imagine little David right here? You know, David Morrell going up and saying that. You don't need to fear. I mean, you got a whole army. I mean, we got Marines. You've got the National Guard. You've got the Air Force. You've got it all. And they're all like, we don't know what to do. We're not going in there. And little David comes up and says, I'll go fight. I mean, that's what's going on here. I'll do it. I trust God. And it goes on. He says... Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. You're just a little kid. And he has been a man of war from his youth. This guy is a Marine. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when I, there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. You know what that tells me about David? David was prepared before this day even got there. This is why it's important for you guys to be prepared now. You may not want to hear about the, the trouble that's going to come upon America, but as that proverb says in Scripture, that you know a righteous man sees trouble and he, he does something about it, but a foolish man just keeps going on, keeps moving on. I'm telling you that there's trouble on the horizon, and if you wait for the trouble to arise, you will not be the David going to fight Goliath. David had already put his trust in God when he was fighting lions and bears. He has already been a man that was walking with God. His heart was already prepared for an event like this. And that's where we have to be. We have to be men and women who are saying, I'm ready. Because you know what? When I was going through this trial in my life, I stood strong. Okay? When, when my son got in a car accident, I stood strong. Oh yeah, I mourned, I, but, but I stood strong. I did not waver in my faith. I think of, of Abraham. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was fully strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. And that was what was considered as righteousness to him. He stood strong. And that's what we need to be doing. We need to be preparing now in all of those little trials that we have in our life, and even in the grand trials that we have in our life. These are exercises to be ready because David was ready before the event took place. I truly believe that had David not been a man after God's own heart already, he would not have gone down that hill. You guys need to be ready now. How do we do that? Well, you better be in prayer daily. You better be studying those scriptures. You better be putting your flesh into submission right now. You know, I think that's one of the blessings of fasting is that when we fast... You're putting the flesh into submission. And, and you're getting your body ready. I know, I think it was Jamie Walden or somebody that I was listening to here a couple of weeks ago. And he was talking about that. One of the, the advantages of when you are, are, are you, you go off to war, he was talking about, you know, they make you do these things when you're at boot camp. Shine your shoes and do all these things. And he says, the whole time you're thinking, this is stupid. I'm shining my shoes. I'm you know, ironing my, my get-up here so that I can go out and crawl out in the dirt. 
What a waste of time. And then I got to go do it tomorrow morning. You know, iron it just so I can make it dirty. And they go through all these rituals as a soldier that seem like a waste of time. And then the day of battle comes. And when the day of battle came, they were ready. Because you see, they didn't question why. They just did. And kids, I want you to hear this. Parents make you do things and you go, that's dumb. Why, why do I have to do that? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't matter. You see, you, you are... A little louder for the kids in the back. You are learning to obey regardless. So that if I say, you know, I would always say that when my kids were real young, when they were just, you know, babies. I spanked them if they didn't come when I told them to come because I wanted them so that if there was a car coming on the road and I said, get out of the road, that they would obey and not question me because there would be danger. It is the same way here with us. We are... You may say, well, why, does, why, why do we need to do this? I don't get anything out of, you know, reading my Bible in the morning. I just don't, it, it doesn't really, you know, change my day. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think it does or not. It's changing you in such little ways that you don't even realize it. So when the day of battle comes, you're ready. But it goes on and it says, if he arose against me, and if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, struck him, and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defiled the armies of the living God. This guy is telling me my God's not good enough. He's not big enough. And if a bear and a lion can come against me and I can trust God to deliver, this little uncircumcised Philistine, that's nothing. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. So he wasn't relying on his own strength. Let me tell you, if you're relying on your own strength to make sure that you have enough ammo, that you have enough food, that you know you have your, your go bag ready to go, if that's all you're doing to get ready, good luck. Good luck. David wasn't relying on his strength in that, hey, I can, I can do a bear, I can get a Philistine. He was saying, no, the Lord God's going to be the one that's going to do this. He says, and Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. How can you argue with that? Yeah. He still had the rock. He had ammo. Well, he picked up some ammo. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll get to that. So, here's the battlefield again, just so you can see. In verse uh, 38, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put on a helmet of bronze and on his head, and he clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go for he had not tested them. In other words, he wasn't able to use them. He wasn't used to that. You know what he was used to? Faith. He was used to his faith. The only thing David knew how to fight with was trusting God. That's the key. He tried to go in vain, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go in these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. It'd be one thing for you to go down that hill all decked out. You know, I got my night vision goggles. I've got, I've got my AR-15. You know, I got all of these things. David says, no, I, I got a little sling. That's all I need. I don't need any of that stuff. So David goes up with a sling. This is a sling. This is something Ron sent me. Here's how those slings work. It's not like what we think of a slingshot. These are ropes that they swing around and then let go. And, uh, yeah, and you can YouTube people who have slings like this that, I mean, they, you have a pop can over there, they'll hit it every time. I mean, they are spot on. The Bible even talks about those that could split a hair with, uh, the, the sling. And so that's basically what these were happened here there it is I'll just play it one more time for you so David goes down and he picks up five stones five smooth stones out of the river again this is how we know in in part when you put all these pieces together where some of this is going on um, we know which river that was 
you can go there. Um, why five stones? I know you guys have heard me talk about this. I'm just going to mention it quickly. But Goliath has four brothers. And I don't think that he thought he was going to miss. He has faith in God. He was sending a message, not necessarily to Goliath, as much as I think to us, that the Bible records this. He took up five smooth stones because he's saying, Goliath, not only are you dead, but so is Lami, so is all of, all of your brothers. Your six-fingered freak brother, he's going down too. And the Bible records every one of them being wiped out by Israel. The message was, my God, whom you are defying, is going to bring judgment upon you. Let me tell you, those, uh, the uh, Palestinians today in Gaza, God is going to bring them down. 1 Samuel 17, verses 40 through 47, Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was, when his, was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward, and came near to David, and with his shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come with me and with sticks? The Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts to the field. Isn't that interesting? Because that's the exact same thing God is going to do to the ungodly in Revelation. I believe this is a picture of what David, as a Christ figure, is going to do to the enemy of God. And it goes on. Verse 45, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I'm going to cut his head off. Cut the head off of the devil. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. What's this goal? So that we can be king and so that we can show you how powerful we are? No, but that the world may know God lives. That's the kind of faith I want to see in you young kids and, and you adults as well. Not that, oh, I'm sure glad I prepared, but that you're going to be able to say, my God saves because I trusted in him. This is the God we serve. Uh, that's what I would like to see Israel do. Not think that they're so good because they've got the Iron Dome, but because they have a God of Israel who has made promises and He is faithful to those promises. And it goes on, I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that, the, that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hand. All of that here. Well, you know the outcome of this epic battle. David kills him, cuts off his head. 1 Samuel 17, verses 48 through 51 says, When the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. It wasn't like he was second-guessing himself. This isn't like faith, oh, I hope God is going to be with No. Come on! He's going right after it. He didn't shrink back. Verse 49, David put his hand in his bag. I love that. He wasn't even ready. He puts his hand in his bag. All right, let's go. I mean, I'm, I'm cocked and ready. He wasn't even ready. He had nothing in the chamber. He took out the stone and then slung it and it struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, the Philistine's, and drew it out of his sheath and killed him. 
and cut off his head with it. As much as he did. I, I mean, just visualize that. Okay? So, in this picture, here is the Valley of Elah. If I can find my light. Okay? There is Ekron. There is Gath. This is where they are from. The Israelites, David, or the... Uh, Goliath is from the city of Gath. Again, as I said before, we have positively identified that city as well. And somewhere up here, then they met in the Valley of Elah to move on up for this battle. And it took place right here in this battlefield. The outcome, verse 51, when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the, man of Israel, the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath. All the way back to where I just showed you. And the gates of Ekron. So that the wounded Philistine fell on the way from Shararim, Shararim as far as Gath and Ekron. So to this day, God gets the glory because David was willing to be used by the Lord. He was prepared to be used. And I think that's the key, is I want to see our life not just be a survival, but that we are thriving to give glory to God. Why are we preparing? So that we can be saved? So that we can protect our family? No, you can't protect your family. You do this so that God is going to get glory. So that God, you're going to be able to say, see what God did? I didn't do this. God protected me. Why? Because I have faith in Him. I've been preparing for months, for years, for this very day. I threw my wife under the bus last week because, you know, you're always saying that. Yes, you know why? Because for years, I've been preparing. For years, we need to be preparing. And that's why I'm never going to stop. Warning. Closing out tonight, I want you to understand this. I don't know for sure if this is exactly. I know this. The Bible tells us that David took that head of the devil, of Goliath, and he carried it all the way back to Jerusalem. And I showed you those routes. And it says he took it to Jerusalem. Where? We don't know for sure, but it's interesting where Yeshua is going to be crucified. He is crucified on a hill called Golgotha. Very interesting word, Golgotha. Many people say that it got that name. It means place of the skull. Why was it called place of the skull? I'm going to propose to you a good possibility is because David took Goliath's skull there. And, yep, and Goliath of Gath is the same thing when we have Gaul. Goliath, Gatha, Goliath of Gath. And so, what goes on at Golgotha? It is the very place that Yeshua, David being a Christ figure of, is going to do what? Crush the head of Satan, fulfilling the very prophecy of Genesis 3.15. He will crush your head, but you will strike his heel. Right? While Satan would strike the heel... The, the, Goliath, the Philistines were striking, bruising. But then along comes this Christ figure who is going to cut off the head of the giant forever and feed the enemy to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Exactly what we see in Revelation. Exactly what we see Yeshua doing. And so maybe the reason place of the skull is there is because Goliath of Gath was brought there and that was a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do for us. See what faith does? Faith destroys the giant. And Satan will have his head crushed. I mean, right now he stands condemned. But let me tell you, as we went through the book of Revelation, we know he is going to be absolutely destroyed. So, when you see the Valley of Elah, on a map. I want you to think about this story. I want you to think about being prepared and I want you to think about the victory that God has already given you in faith. 
And so let's go this week and uh, let's soldier up. Let's get ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you for being a God who gives us the tools, the stones, the sling to fight with, and that is faith. God, I just pray that you would give us the faith of David, the faith of Abraham, the faith that will cause you to get the glory, that one day we can stand before you in the confidence uh, as we face our enemies to say, go ahead, light the flames, because of our faith giving you the glory, knowing that your promises are sure and they will never fail. So Lord, um, just let the, the visuals that we've seen tonight of, of the land that you have given and created there just stick in our minds so that every time we see them that we are reminded of your power, your strength, and the battles that you have won for us. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.